So our spiritual theme for the month of February is resilience. And as always, on the first Sunday of the month, we include a list of spiritual questions that will help you, if you choose to look at them, will help you to explore what the theme of resilience means to you and how, how it dovetails, not only with your spiritual journey, but with the spiritual journey of all of us as a community. Today, we're going to reflect together on what it looks like to cultivate resilience. Is this, in fact, something that we can cultivate and reinforce and make grow. Our invocation this morning comes from the Reverend Gretchen Haley, and it is called, And Yet You Persist. Though you have been warned and given plenty of explanations and reasons to do otherwise, you have persisted. You have persisted to claim a life of joy and justice, to carve out this time, this place, for the renewal of your own heart. Despite all the reasons, the resistance, fighting for your attention, luring you towards fear, you persist to practice gratitude for this day, this life that has been given, and this chance to begin again. And so, let us gather that we might offer one another courage, strength, healing, hope, and this promise to persist in kindness, persevere in compassion, and prevail in a life that is for more than ourselves. Come, let us worship together. Not too long ago, scientists at NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Association Administration, whatever that final A stands for, hired scientists at the University of Nebraska to figure out what the right profile in resilience would be for astronauts to go on a projected trip to Mars. As Dr. Michael Ungar, whose, whose book is my personal choice for Reverend Maria's Book Club of the Week, recommendation called Resilience, Change Your World. As he tells the story, the journey to Mars is projected to take six months. Astronauts will need to stay on the planet for 18 months, not only to do their work, but to wait for the time when our two planets are properly aligned so they can come back. So that's two and a half years in a metal cylinder, more or less. So it's important not only that they have all the technical support and technical expertise and, and so on and so forth, but it is important that they have the right kind of resilience to endure what is almost unimaginable stress. Among the many other experiences they will have, which no human, as far as we know, has ever had, they will be traveling for most of the time beyond the place where they can look back and see the planet Earth. 
Now, about 10 years ago, NASA conducted a simulation to try and figure out the answer to this same question, and they put six astronauts in a very small space. It was for over a year, and things did not go well. Every single individual who participated in this simulation suffered damage from moderate to quite intense sleep deprivation, anxiety, deep agitation. So they knew already that this was not going to be easy. Well, what has happened in this new series of tests and exploration is that there's been an evolution for folks at NASA in their understanding of what this new mission might take or might require of its participants. Now, I don't know how many of you are fans of Star Trek. Show of hands, maybe. All right, good, phew. <laughs> the rest of you can be bored for the next minute because I'm going to talk about Star Trek. I started watching Star Trek. I, I think I started with the second episode, so <laughs> I qualify as a diehard fan. And I've, I've been, I mean, I've, I love the series. I love other space things, too, but planetariums, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, but it's always been fascinating to me to see the character, the, the, the lead character, Captain James Tiberius Kirk. My, uh, one of my kids had a boss who was named after him, and it was James Tiberius. Anyway, so Captain Kirk is your standard movie space hero, right? He is impetuous. He is young. He takes ginormous risks. He's very extroverted. Some might say charming, some might not. His kind of sidekick, second in command, who gets mercilessly teased and criticized, is the half-Vulcan, half-human Mr. Spock. Why can't you be more human, the rest of the characters say to, to Mr. Spock. Well, you may or may not be surprised to learn that what scientists are now understanding is that they would much rather have Mr. Spock on the mission to Mars than Captain Kirk. Why? They don't have the full picture yet, but they already know that someone really young won't have the life experience to deal with the two and a half years of unknown challenges. Someone who takes huge risks inside a metal cylinder is going to be a problem. Someone who's extroverted is going to go out of their mind. And someone who has a high need for human attention and a high need for human love will not have the resilience. So who are they looking for? They're looking for someone who doesn't need others the way you and I might. 
This says, I think, and has many lessons to teach us about what resilience is and what resilience can be and what it is, it is not. So let me start by giving a very short working definition for resilience. Resilience is that set of qualities or conditions that allow either us as individuals or us as communities to not only survive, but thrive and succeed after catastrophic events, tragic events, traumatic events in our lives. Now, I know we all have different definitions of what success is, but that we don't have time for that now. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the working definition. So here are some lessons I'd like to point out. And this is not from, you know, from my deductions. This is actually what decades of resilience research have taught us. Number one, our success does not depend on what we have inside. It does not depend on us individually. It depends on others. I don't know if that particular learning can be overstated. We have been taught to view resilience as some kind of personal special quality that some of us have and some of us don't. You read the billions of dollars worth of self-help literature. They're all about telling us what each of us can do individually to survive and thrive in whatever it is. Make more money, lose weight, get sober, overcome bad family history, whatever, whatever all, those, all, those, all those things are. But in fact, that message that we're each responsible for our own resilience is really damaging and can allow us, if we believe it, and I, I know I've struggled with it, if we believe it, it allows us to blame ourselves for our own suffering. It allows us to blame other people. If you didn't survive X, Y, or Z, or if you haven't been able to overcome X, Y, and Z, you don't have what it takes. I think all of us heard this morning testimonies of how important we are to one another's resilience. How relationships and companionship and the bonds that we build with one another and that we nurture with one another. That's what's responsible. Not that our individual qualities don't matter. They do. But it is more the resources that we have around us, available to us in that moment when we're seeking to deal with the pain. It is the resources we have available to us that make the difference. I'll come back to that in a moment. Lesson number two is that resilience depends on the context. 
in some situations, Captain Kirk and his, the, what he brings to resilience will be different than what Mr. Spock brings to the situation. So our context, where we live, how we live, how we're raised, where, we're, where we are raised, who raises us, what community we live in, our context has, has a lot to do with what resilience we do or do not muster. Number three, if it is in fact the resources we have to draw on, I'm going to bring it to who we are as religious community. How can we think of ourselves as nurturers of resilience? Now, many of us, I'll speak for myself, grew up in a home environment that is, let's just say, not a textbook environment for raising a healthy child. My parents never were nominated for any awards <laughs> or even special distinction when it came to parenting, not even posthumously, by their children. <laughs> I made my point, right? Nonetheless, I look back over my life with immense gratitude for the other resources that were present. As I was thinking about this message to share with you this morning, I, what came, I came back to me, someone came back to me I haven't thought about in a long time, my ballet teacher when I was in elementary school. She was a survivor of the Paris ballet, and she was mean. Madame, we had to call her, Madame Mila Gibbons, did not cut me one period, single period, break period in all the years I studied with her but she provided something I didn't get anywhere else. First of all, she provided structure and continuity. And she let me know, she never complimented, but she let me know that she believed in me, that she believed that I had a gift. And I recognized that, and I would, I would just run to get to my ballet class, as hard as it was and discouraging as it was, because here was someone who was consistent, faithful, and who I knew believed in me. And she gave me something that I didn't get elsewhere. So I had, that was a resource. Would I ever have gone to for a nice warm chit-chat? No. <laughs> Would I have gone to her for financial help? No. But the gift I received from her was something I can't measure. And I imagine if all of you took a moment to think back over your, your lives and those resources that you've had, or the resources that have come into your life at different times, you'll recognize the truth of the fact that it is the resources we have. And, and, 
our capacity and our willingness to access those resources. So someone might, be, might offer me something as a resource that might not actually help me, or I might not actually be willing to reach out for the help that I need in any given situation for whatever reason. So all of those things have to come together. So how do we, and how does this fit with our faith tradition, with our identity as Unitarian Universalists and who we seek to be for ourselves, for one another, and for the communities in which we live. The first thing I'll say to you is that in the research, a viable and vibrant faith community is one of the single most important sources of resilience. We heard that this morning from one another. A faith community that affirms the goodness, the worth and dignity of every human being is an incredible source of resilience. A faith community that allows us to be who we are and that sees us for who we are and accepts and welcomes us for who we are. It's a powerful source of resilience. What about our resilience as a community, not just individual? And here I invite you to ask the question, what are our resources as a community? What partnerships, what connections, what relationships, what sustains us? Are there places we're looking that could sustain us that we haven't explored yet? Are there places we could go, avenues we could open? Understanding that our resilience depends on all of those things, not only what resources there are, but if we're willing to access them. Can we learn more from other congregations in, in our Unitarian Universalist uh, universe? Can we learn more from other faith communities? I'm, I mean, the list is, is, is wide open. But it's a question I would urge us to ask ourselves. Because answers to that question connect directly to what we are able to do and be in our world. My friends, it's not, it's not, I'm not saying to you that our personal traits don't matter. And I'm not saying that there's nothing we can do as individual human beings to cultivate resilience. We can ask for help. We can accept help. Can I say that again? We can accept help. We can recognize that we're not to blame for our suffering and that others aren't to blame for their suffering. 
we can recognize that a world and a society that has adequate resources for everyone is what will provide equity and peace. And the fulfillment of all of the principles you and I hold dear. A world that does not have access to health care will not build resilient communities or resilient individuals, for example. I don't want to go too over time. Not that that usually bothers me enough, but... So I'll leave you, I hope, I'll leave you with a sense of empowerment. I hope I leave you with a sense of gratitude for who we are together and how precious and valuable that resource is and how precious and valuable it can continue to be. Ashe. Amen. And blessed be.